Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, who's rightly described in that song as love's pure light. God, we thank you for for the reality that the glory of the gospel, the glory of the knowledge of God is found in the face of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we, we marvel at your mercy, at your grace in sending your Son to come and to be born and to dwell among us, to be a light that shines in the darkness. And, Lord, I pray right now that as we open your word, that you would stir our hearts, God, that, that we would stand amazed at what you have done for us and that, and that the true light, the true meaning of Christmas would, would shine in us, Lord, and then would shine through us to this, uh, to this dark and desperate world, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers can help you out with that right now. They're coming up and down the aisle, so just raise your hand. And if you don't own a Bible, this is our, our gift to you. A little while ago, I was visiting in the home of uh, uh, a couple named Louis and, and Sita Musni, and uh, they've been part of our church for a long time, and I was just over there visiting with them and, and praying with them, and as I was there, I just I couldn't help but notice this painting on the wall. I was sort of sitting facing this, uh, this painting as I was uh, talking to them, and my eyes were just kind of continually drawn to it. I think it was because I was already planning on preaching on John chapter 1 and light in the light in the darkness and I so I just asked about this about this beautiful a painting pastor chris actually has a, a photograph very similar in his office um, along these same lines this lighthouse in the storm and uh, so i asked about it and louis he actually painted it himself and uh, so i wanted to share it with you guys because i think that this is just such a powerful picture of what this series is about and what john chapter 1 is about we're going through john chapter 1 very slowly just almost paragraph by paragraph but one recurring theme in, in John chapter 1 is this idea of light coming into uh, the darkness and that light wins, light conquers uh, the darkness. And today we're going to be talking about what it means to be a witness of the light. And we're introduced to John the Baptist in the section that we're going to be studying right now. And John really lays out a, a template or an exemplar for us to, to follow with regards to what it means for us to be witnesses of the light to spread the light of, of the Christmas message into a world that is dark, into a world that is drowning, into a world that is directionless, into a world that is desperate, that is tossed by the tumultuous storms of life. We have this message. We are like this lighthouse in the storm telling people where safety is, where security can be found. And so there's a lot riding on this message and we want to make sure that we handle it properly, that we steward what we have been given, this responsibility as witnesses. So we're going to follow the example of John the Baptist as it's described in this passage. To give us a, a feel for the overall context of John chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 18 right now and then we're going to zero in on verses 6 through 8 and then jump down to verse 15. So here is John chapter 1, 1 to 18. Here's the prologue to the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word 
was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came Through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God. Who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the passage of scripture that we're studying this Christmas season. This prologue to the gospel of John. This this poetic, rich, a theological, philosophical a description of what it meant for, for Jesus being God himself coming and dwelling among us. And in, in verse 6, there's this sort of dramatic transition of verses 1 to 5, talking about in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the light shining in the darkness, and, and it's, it's, it's very theologically rich. There's all kinds of imagery and, and analogies that are being used. It's, it's all very powerful, it's all very beautiful, but it's, it's all very, at this point in the game, it's, it's all very theoretical. It's, it's sort of just out there. It's up there in the sky. The word was always there. And, and in the abstract, the, the, the light shone in the darkness. But in, in verse 6, there's this transition from heaven to earth. To the pre-existent eternal word who was God, now to a man who was sent by God. The, the, the things of eternity, now in verse 6, to the things of time and space. And that, that's really important for us to understand. It's almost jarring as you read it because you have all of this beautiful description about the word and the pre-existent word and the light and the darkness and then all of a sudden it's just, there was a man sent from God. It seems like the poem or the, the imagery is being interrupted with this description of a historical person. But listen, that's, that's John's intention. 
You see, the Christian life is not just thinking about in terms of the abstract or the theory of things or the philosophies or the, or the theologies of certain perspectives. No, Christianity is meant to be lived out in real time and real space by real people. That's, that's the aim. And so, and so it's fitting here in verse 6 after this incredible description of who Jesus is as the preexistent Word of God. Now we are told that there was a man who was sent from God, whose name was John. And we shouldn't be confused by the name John here. You're reading the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're introduced to someone named John, and so our immediate assumption is, well, this, is, this must be the John who wrote the book. Well, actually, all of the Gospel authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they never mention themselves by name. They, they write anonymously. A John, the guy who wrote this Gospel, he actually refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. But he never used his own name to talk about himself. And John, the author of the gospel, mentions this person, John, who is Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist or John uh, the Baptizer. And so he's introducing us to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is going to be described as a witness. And what I'd like to do today is, is, is for us to reflect on this passage that, that describes what John came to do, how he was sent by God for a purpose, to be a witness, that we would then apply that to our own lives as we think about what it means for us to be witnesses. And here's the first thing that we're going to have to understand if we're going to be witnesses of the light, if we are going to go into this dark and desperate and dying world with the light of the gospel, we need to remember this, that our God is ascending God. Our God is ascending God. The Christian doesn't get put out into the dark world by accident. It's intentional. It's on purpose. Verse 6 says, there was a man sent from God. Our God is ascending God. He sent John the Baptist to be a witness. That word ascend there in Greek, it's the word apostello. It's where we get the word apostle. The apostles, the original apostles, they were the 12 people that Jesus brought together. Why did he bring them together? He brought them together and immediately called them apostles. So from the very get-go, he brought them together knowing that the reason why they came together was so that they would be sent out. And loved ones, the reason why we gather together on Sunday morning, we need to remember that what's happening right now is not a means to, is, is, is not the ultimate game. It's a means to an end. We gather together recognizing that all of us are being sent out. That, that all of us are called because our God is ascending God. He told Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, of verse 10, he said, Behold, I am sending I am sending you to Pharaoh. I am sending you to set my people free. God is ascending God. In Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, after the beautiful description of God on his throne and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory, God said, whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. God is ascending God. And so now we have God sending John the Baptist. He sent Moses. He sent Isaiah. Now he's sending John the Baptist really to announce that God was going to be sending Jesus, the Word of God, the Son of God. 
Our God is ascending God. And then once Jesus is sent, he talks about more sending. He says in, in John chapter 14, verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So God sent John to announce that he was sending Jesus. And now when Jesus is teaching his disciples, he promises that he's going to send his Holy Spirit. And all of that is for the purpose of this. At the very end of the gospel, John 20 verse 21. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So the same God who sent Moses and sent Isaiah and sent John the Baptist to announce that he was sending his son who sent his spirit is now saying to us, I am sending you. I am sending you. I was so thankful how uh, Andrew mentioned during announcements that, you know, each, each, each week we have a, a different missions focus. And we talk about a different organization or a missions group or a missionary who either locally or globally has been sent out from this church or we support financially and we, we support through prayer. Because we always want to remind our people about, especially because if they're overseas, we can often forget about them. So we want to keep them at the forefront of our minds. That's why we pray about them every single week at our church. But this week, the missions focus is ourselves. We need to remember that we have been sent. And we might not be overseas. We might not be in full-time ministry. But, but listen, we are all missionaries. The word missions comes from the Latin word missio, which means send. All of us are missionaries. All of us have been sent all of us need to follow this example of John the Baptist in being witnesses because all of us have been sent. The family that you belong to, have you, have you recognized that God has intentionally sent you into that family? That the, your brothers and your sisters, your parents, your children, your aunts and uncles and cousins, you are in that family for a reason. You might be one of many believers. You might be the only believer. You are a missionary in your family. Your workplace you might think that you have that particular job that you have right now because you submitted a resume or an application, you had an interview, and then you got... Listen, the reason why you have that job is because our God is ascending God. And He has sent you to that workplace to interact with those co-workers, to interact with those customers and clients so that, so that you would have the opportunity to be a witness. Your neighborhood... It wasn't a, a real estate agent that found you that apartment or that home where you're living right now. It was God who sent you there to be a light in the darkness, to, to, to be a witness in that place. We need to remember that we have been sent. And so wherever you are, you have been sent there to be a witness. And some of you right now are praying about being sent overseas or being sent to an unreached people group or being sent to, a, to another church plant in, in North Toronto for Hope Toronto North. That our God is ascending God. That's the, why, that's the reason why this church got started. That, that's, that's the reason why we're planting a church in, in 2019 at Hope Toronto North. It's because God is ascending 
God. That's the reason why we want to be sending more missionaries. That was part of our trusting God a campaign. It was the desire to do more sending. Not because it's our idea, but because it's God's idea. He is ascending God. We are all on mission. And so we all need to remember that, especially during this Christmas season. But what has he sent us to do? Verse 6, going back to the passage, it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Verse 7, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So our God is ascending God. Everyone got that? Everyone clear on that? Here's the second thing we need to understand, that our role is to be witnesses of the light. Our role is to be witnesses. We are witnesses. The the imagery here is the imagery of a courtroom. And so you picture you've got a judge You've got, you've got the accused, you've got attorneys, you've got the, the jury, you've got the court clerk, you have all of these different people. And then the person brought to the stand to testify, to give their testimony, they're referred to as the witness. And John, his role, God sent him to play a specific role, to be a witness. All of us are called upon to be a witness. And it says to bear witness about the light. The light's already been described in John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. This is the light that shines in the darkness. This is the light that is life, and in him is the, is the light of life, John chapter 1, verse 4. This is the light that defeats the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome it in John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the light that shines in our spiritual darkness. This is the life that resurrects us from spiritual deadness. And John's role is to bear witness about the light. Now the fact that we need to bear witness about light shows something very troubling about our world. Do I need to tell you that the lights are on right now? No, it should be, it should be inherently obvious for, for everyone who is able to see that the lights are on. And so the fact that John needs to be a witness to the light shows that our, that our world is spiritually blind. That we are so in the dark and so accustomed to the darkness. It's not just simply that, that, that the light came on its own. No, the light requires a witness. It requires a voice to describe. The light is here. The light is shining in the darkness. John came to be a light, to be a witness of the light. This idea of witness is a major theme in the Gospel of John. Uh, I mentioned last week how how, uh, Pastor Chris describes John chapter 1. It's sort of like the table of contents where he introduces all of these themes, like the idea of light is going to appear all throughout the rest of the Gospel, and this idea of light. Witness is going to appear appear and come up all throughout the rest of the gospel. The word witness appears 29 times in 21 chapters. The word testimony appears an additional 14 times. The whole gospel is set up like a courtroom. And there are these different witnesses that are brought forward to share their testimony. If you trace this theme of witness through the gospel of John, you'll see that there are seven different witnesses. The first one we're talking about right now, it's the witness of John the Baptist. Then there's the witness of Jesus himself, the witness of the Father, 
the witness of miracles, the witness of the Holy Spirit, the witness of the Old Testament, and the witness of believers. What I want to do right now is just give you a quick overview of how these seven witnesses all work together to paint an accurate picture of who Jesus is and what he came to do. So we are already talking about the witness of John. Let's talk about Jesus and the witness of himself. Jesus said, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Jesus says, I speak authoritatively about myself. He says that he, he is a witness even of himself, that his testimony is true. He knows where he came from. Then there's the witness of the Father, John 5, 37. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. Remember Jesus said that the, the Father bears witness about him. He goes on in John 8, 18, I am the one who bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. The Father, the Father gave witness to who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. And the way that the Father gave witness to who Jesus is and what he came to do was through his miracles. So we have the witness of his miracles. John 5, 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the works, the miracles, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. John 10, 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do, my Father's name, bear witness about me. Making the blind see. Raising the dead. Walking on water. Feeding thousands of people with some fish sticks and biscuits. Jesus' miracles bear witness to who he is and what he came to do. Furthermore, there's the witness of the Holy Spirit. John 15, 26, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father will bear witness about me. Then there's the witness of the Old Testament, John 5, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. He's talking to the Pharisees and how well they knew the Old Testament. He goes on to say, and it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus himself says, if you want to know who I am, then you need to read Genesis. And then you, you need to read the, the prophets. You need to read the Psalms. Because it's these passages, it's, it's, it's the scripture that bears witness about me. And then lastly, the witness of believers, the witness of you and me. The witness of people like the woman that Jesus met at the well in Samaria. In John 4, 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She was a witness. She spoke about what she had heard and what she had seen. John 21, 24, at the very end, John talking about himself, he says, This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is True. So John, as a believer, mentions himself as a witness. And so the Gospel of John follows this theme of witness all throughout God's Word. And so when we are out witnessing, as we have been sent into our families, as we have been sent into our workplaces and into our neighborhoods and in our friendships, 
How do we witness? Well, we rely on the other witnesses. These witnesses all work together. And so when we're, when we're talking to other people, how do we talk to them about Jesus? Well, let, let's talk with Jesus' witness of himself. How do you deal with a human being who claims to be God? In our contemporary culture, if your next door neighbor knocked on the door and just said, hey, just want to let you know that I'm divine. How would that conversation go? And so we can't allow people to escape and, and, and sort of juke or dodge into this idea, oh, Jesus, he's just a moral teacher. He's just a good person, just a religious leader. No, you can't squirm out of this. He, made, he made, gave a testimony about himself. He said, I and the Father are one. Before Abraham was, I am. He received worship. He claimed to be God. And so either, so again, if your neighbor knocks on the door and says that, then either he's lost his mind, or he's a horrible liar, or he's telling the truth. Now, if he's lost his mind, probably shouldn't follow him. Probably shouldn't pay attention to anything that he says. If he's a horrible liar, definitely don't follow him. But if he's telling the truth, then, then you, you must follow him. And so we got to follow the witness of himself. we got to follow the, the witness of his miracles. How do we explain all of these incredible things that he did? Even secular historians at, writing at the time of Jesus made it clear that he did crazy, amazing things that no one else could do. That he was a wonder worker. That he performed miracles. So, how do we, how do we witness to other people? We talk to them about the claims that Jesus made. We talk to them about the, the miracles that he performed. And then, the witness of other believers. Tell your own story. Tell the story of your, your, your other Christian friends who have been been saved. She, just like the Samaritan woman told all the people in her village what Jesus had said to her. What has Jesus said to you? So remember, remember, we have all of these other witnesses that we can work with in telling people about who Jesus is, but it's absolutely crucial that we re remember that our role is a witness. The imagery is, is that of a courtroom. But our role is a witness. We are not the judge. We do not make pronouncements about other people. We are witnesses. We are not the attorney. It is not up to us to make such perfect and concise and clear arguments to convince someone to believe. No, we are not attorneys of the light. We are not judges of the light. We are witnesses of the light. Our job is to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And listen, don't just put your hand on top of the Bible. Open it up. What does a witness do? A witness is just called upon to share what they know, to share what they've seen, to share what they've experienced. Now sometimes in the courtroom, expert witnesses are called upon. And there's some expert witnesses in the room right now. And you could go through 
biblical theology, you could talk about ethics, you could talk about biology, you could talk about evolution, you could talk about all, you're an expert witness. You could take whatever angle is needed to talk about Jesus. And listen, there's a time and a place for expert witnesses. But not all of us have to be experts in order to be witnesses. We are called upon to share what we've seen, to share what we've heard, to share what we have experienced. That is our role. It's a privileged role that we would have the opportunity to witness. And remember, one of the witnesses is the Holy Spirit. That when we step out in faith and are given these opportunities to be a witness of the light, that it's not merely us doing the talking, that the witness of the Holy Spirit is there with us, guiding our words. And as the Spirit guides and as the Spirit leads and as the Spirit helps us in our witnessing, this is what we are aiming that would happen. Go back to verse 7. It says, He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through Him. That all might believe through Him. That's the aim. And so our God is ascending God. Our role is to be witnesses of the light. And then lastly, our desire is that all might believe. Our desire is that all might believe. What do you want for Christmas? You used to be like super easy to answer, right? When you were seven or eight years old, right? A Game Boy, rollerblades. How much time you got? How much money you have? I'll tell you. It gets harder and harder to, to answer the older that you get. Well, what do you want for Christmas? For Christmas, what, what do we actually need? What, what, what do we not have that we think we should have? What is our desire this Christmas? What do we truly want? Well, listen, here's something I want for Christmas. Do you want people who don't know Jesus to know him? Do you want people who are in the dark to be brought into the light? Do you want people who are far from God to be brought Near? Do you want people who think that God is a, is a merciless judge who's ready to strike them down with a thunderbolt? Do you want them to hear and to understand and have their heart transformed by the message of a God who is ascending God, who sent his son? Not to, not to condemn us, but to save us. That's something we should all want for Christmas. That, that God would use us to be witnesses, and that our witness would result, as it said here at the end of verse 7, that as, that all might believe through him. Now who is, who is the him, believe through him? Is that talking about Jesus, believing through Jesus, or is that talking about John the Baptist, believing through John the Baptist? Well, in the way New Testament authors talk about belief, and particularly, I mean, John mentions uh, belief a number of times in his gospel, There's really no equivalent to someone believing through Jesus. You believe in him. And so the idea is that someone would come to know and believe in Jesus through John. And what's being described here is that God has intended to use witnesses as the means by which people come to believe. Now think about this for a minute. God could have done it in any way that he wanted. 
He wanted some shepherds to know about his son, and he called out the angel choir for that. I mean, he could do that. But then after the shepherds went to the manger and met the Lord Jesus, then they went off and told other people. And that's how it all kind of started. They were really the first evangelists to, to, to announce and to proclaim what, what God had done in sending his son. And our God is ascending God. He doesn't write it in the sky. No, he's put it in our hearts. And he's entrusted us with this incredible responsibility that people would come to believe in him through what we say. Through our testimony. Through us as witnesses. And it all hinges on that word believe. That all might believe through him. The word believe appears 98 different times. I mentioned John 1's like a table of contents. 98 times in 21 chapters the word believe is used in the gospel of John. It's really the overarching ultimate theme of the book. At the very end of the book John says why he wrote. He said these things are written so that you may believe. This is the intention of, of, of John as an author, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The whole aim of this gospel is that people would believe. This gospel contains John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It all hinges on belief. God, wants, God is ascending God. He sends us out for a purpose that we would be witnesses so that people would believe, that they would place their faith in Jesus Christ. So the whole Gospel of John is all about this concept of believing. And one of the things that you can do as a witness is you can take one of these Bibles that we give out on every Sunday. You can take the one in your hands right now or you can pick one up on a, one of the tables and Hand your friend a Bible. Show them where the Gospel of John is and say, listen, I want you to read this. And tell them the word believe comes up 98 different times. And what I want you to do is just take a pen or a highlighter and just circle or highlight every time the word believe is used. And if you have any questions, jot them down. And, and think about what does it mean to believe in Jesus? And then offer to meet with them to talk about what they find. It's 21 chapters. Give them three weeks. Read a chapter a day. Meet with them once a week and, and space it out and have conversations with them. Listen, this is vitally important because when we're witnessing, the sooner we get people to stop listening to us and to start listening to Jesus, the better. If we're going to follow John the Baptist's example... As a witness, we need to have the heart that he has when he said in John 3, verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. So allow Jesus to explain through his word to an unbeliever what it means to believe in him. Our young adults right now are going through a series about statements that Jesus made about himself in the Gospel of John. It's called Jesus in his own words. Let Jesus give testimony. Let Jesus bear witness about himself. 
Verse 8 makes it very clear. This is why we need to make sure that people listen to Jesus as soon as possible. By the end of this chapter, John is already going to be passing on the baton, saying, you don't need to listen to me anymore. Go follow him. Go listen to him. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're pointing people towards Jesus. Verse 8 says, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. You do not have the answer to your friend's problems. Jesus has the answer. You do not have the wisdom to give your friend good advice. Only Jesus is the wonderful counselor. It's not a, in order to be an effective witness, we need to understand that we want people to believe in Jesus. It's not about us. We want the focus and the attention to be on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I mentioned that we were going to jump down to uh, verse 15. I thought we should uh, handle um, these, these uh, verses 6 through 8 and 15 together because these are all of the, all of the, uh, the parts of this chapter that talk about uh, John the Baptist. And I mentioned how it transitions back from the, the heavenly to the earthly. And so jump down to verse 15. It says, John bore witness about him. And cried out. So he cried this out in a loud voice. He says, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. John wanted to make it clear that even though Jesus came after John, that he ranked before him. See, in ancient Near Eastern culture, just like many cultures today, there is automatic respect and reverence that's given to someone just because they're older than you. One of the tragedies of our contemporary culture right now in Canada is this blind acceptance and delight in everything youthful and young and this utter rejection and casting aside of everything that is old. And we all fall victim to it. But woven into the cultural fabric in the ancient Near East was this idea of respect and honor for anyone that is older than you. And many cultures, even even today, even in the very words that are used, emphasize this, this idea of showing honor and respect to someone who is older. I was spending some time with with, uh, with some, some Filipinos a little while ago. And, and the, the one guy kept referring to the other guy as Kuya. And, and I was like, that's not his name. Why are you calling him? Well, because in their culture, if someone's a little bit older than you, you, you use this term of endearment, this, term of, this affectionate term. You call them a Kuya. I'm probably saying it wrong. Sorry. <laughs> and... And then someone told me afterwards, you know, it's really handy, you know, if you can't remember someone's name. <laughs> because you just call them all. In, in South India, it's, it's it, like an older cousin is Utacha. Same, same idea. That you automatically show this kind of respect. Now, John the Baptist, according to Luke 1, verses 24 to 27... Elizabeth was six months pregnant with John the Baptist when even before Gabriel appeared to Mary. So John the Baptist is older than Jesus. That's what he's getting at in verse, uh, in verse 15 where he says, He who comes after me. So John the Baptist was a, was a kuya. John the Baptist was an utaja. J- John the Baptist, by default, just even because he's six months older, 
would have been worthy of more respect and more honor and more responsibility at family functions or events. If someone was was called upon to take the lead, it would not have been Jesus. He was younger. He came after him. John would have been first. But John goes, he just cuts right against the grain of the culture and the expectations of the time. And he says, he who comes after me ranks before me. He says, I know that everything in our culture says that you should be listening to me and that I'm more important and that I'm older and that I'm wiser. But John says, no, don't look at me, look at him. I must decrease and he must increase. And notice the rationale. This is why he explains that they need to honor Jesus and not honor him at the end of verse 15. Because he was before me. He came after me in terms of birth order and on the calendar. He came after me, but the truth is, he was before me. You see, some people think that, you know, the, the people in the New Testament, the disciples, John the Baptist, other people, they they were still trying to figure things out about Jesus and that it sort of all clicked towards the end. Or some people even teach that it was you know, hundreds of years later that they started to entertain the idea that Jesus was God. No. From day one, John is saying, yeah, he might have come after me, but he's before me. John the Baptist knew that Jesus was the pre-existent, self-existent, eternal son of the Father. And that's why John says, listen, I don't have the answers. The only reason why I'm here is to bear witness to who Jesus is. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's all about him. Our God is ascending God and our role is to be witnesses of the light. And our desire is that all would believe. That all would believe in Jesus. And so we're going to have a time of prayer right now. And I just want to invite you just to, you know, however you can uh, get prepared to, to come before the Lord. I just want to ask you to just take a few moments to do that. If you need to close up your Bible or, or put away your pen. And it's been my hope that as we've been talking about God sending us and our role to be a witness and the desire to have people believe. It's been, it's been my prayer and my hope that, that certain faces have come before our mind's eye and that certain names have been coming to mind. People who you know are in the darkness right now. People who you know are not yet followers of Jesus Christ. And so I just want to lead us in a time of prayer right now. And so I just want to ask you right now, just in the stillness of this moment, just to pray. Pray that the God of the universe would shine light into that person's life who's dwelling in darkness right now. Just ask him to do that right now. Pray for them by name, just quietly in your chair. And then just surrender to him right now in this moment that that whatever it takes, whatever it will cost, that you are willing to fulfill your role as a witness in order to see that person come to know Jesus Christ. 
that you are willing to go into that dark place and to shine the light of the gospel. So just resolve right now before the Lord. Pray that God would use you as a witness. And so, Heavenly Father, we say with the Apostle Paul, who reflected on this whole idea of evangelism and sharing our faith and being a witness of the light, the Apostle Paul said, who's sufficient for these things? But Lord, we are sufficient in Christ. We are sufficient as we go out in the power of the Holy Spirit, as we follow on the commission that you have given us, that you are ascending God and that you have sent us. And so, Lord, I pray that this would be a Christmas like no other. God, that this would be a Christmas where we delight in the reality of lost people being saved, of people in the dark coming to the light, of people who are hiding their sin in the darkness, who are, who are making it known and confessing to you, Lord, people who are overcoming addiction, people who are overcoming evil and sin, Lord. So God, we pray that you would let your light shine in the darkness and we pray that you would use us, God, that you would use us as your witnesses, that you would use your church in this area, Lord, and around the world to see many people come to know the Lord as Savior. So God, we pray these things by the power of your Spirit and in the name of your Son. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.